you would remain standing and take out your Bibles and turn to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 3. This morning we'll be looking at Luke chapter 3, verses 15 through 22. It's Luke 3, verses 15 through 22. And I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. So Luke 3, verses 15 through 22. As the people were in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. Now when all were being baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. You may be seated. And as you do, if you could please bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts here may be pleasing and honoring in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. It's in Jesus' name alone that we pray. Amen. Well, I have a little show and tell for you guys this morning. And uh, for you guys to get uh, a sense of what I have here, I have to come down and actually show you guys. Um, I have a, a Valentine's card here. Uh, that my son Elliot produced this past week uh, in his class. Uh, as you can see on the back here, it has his name in big, bold letters. Um, but uh, I'm actually going to ask you a question. Um, he has based this uh, picture here, this painting, on a very famous artist. Can anybody tell what, uh, in what style this painting is done? Anybody? It, it is. And who's the most famous impressionist that we would know? Monet. Monet, of course. Elliot, was this Monet? It was. That's very, very good. So um, he produced this. Um, I will tell you that uh, he painted something that Monet probably would not have painted. Um, uh, this, uh, not only is he learning about impressionist arts, but he was also learning about World War II. So this is a, a rendition of the atomic bomb that landed on Hiroshima. There's a little uh, mushroom cloud here. So this is, uh, ironically, uh, a nice impression of, um, of that event uh, in World War II uh, as a Valentine's Day card. So <laughs> um, uh, this probably won't be hanging in a museum, um, but this means a great deal to me because of who made it. Um, this was a card from my son. Um, and I love it because it is his and because he is my 
Son. Uh, This morning we're going to be talking about God's impression of His Son, Jesus, and also, um, by extension, His impression of us as His children. Um, As you can imagine, this is a a drawing that has gone on our refrigerator, and this will stay there probably for a, a long time. But uh, as we reach John 3 here, verse 15, uh, if you recall last week as we were looking at verses 1 through 14, John has made his appearance on the scene. Uh, we, we saw his, his birth announcement to his father, Zechariah, in the temple. Uh, we knew that he was going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, that he was going to prepare the way for the Lord. And last week we got to see that, the beginnings of John preparing the way for Jesus. And what he is doing is he is baptizing. He is baptizing for the repentance of sin. And along with his baptism, he is also preaching. And uh, we looked last week at him preaching to, um, for us to bear fruit in keeping with this repentance he is calling us to do. And at the end uh, of, of last week, people are asking, well, what should we do then? And for us to, to bear fruit in keeping in repentance, what should we do? And we looked at things like sharing, the simplicity of sharing with others, or of doing justice, or of being content with what God has given us. So after this round of powerful preaching, you can imagine what happens. So the crowds are looking around and they're asking each other, is this the one? John has this powerful, powerful ministry where people are coming to the Jordan to being baptized and, and uh, people are repenting of their sins. And it's been a long, long, long time since there has been a prophet on the scene in Israel. It's been 400 years at least. And so there's starting to be whispers. Is John the one? Has God come and visited his people again? The mood is ripe and people are ready to exalt John the Baptist. But he doesn't play into the people's hands. Instead, what he does is he redirects the crowd. And instead of focusing the attention on himself, he directs them to Christ. So that Christ would increase and John would decrease. What he says here is pretty telling. He says, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. He says, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. In essence, what he's saying is, well, you think my baptism, what's going on here is pretty impressive? Imagine being baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Like, this may be impressive, but this cannot hold a candle uh, to what, what Jesus will be doing. And John continues to preach the gospel. Uh, If you notice here in in verse 18, it says that he preached the good news to the people. Uh, The good news that he preached, um, it was a tough message. He was preaching here about Christ's judgment. Yes, he was going to be baptizing with the Holy Spirit and with fire, but uh, Christ is going to be coming in judgment with justice. And this is the, the message that John is preaching here. 
As we see, John is eventually thrown in prison because of the things that he says to Herod. He, he calls out Herod for his wickedness, and Herod retaliates by sending him to prison. So, uh, so this is the ministry of John the Baptist in 22 verses that we see here. Uh, later on, he'll come on the scene again as he sends disciples to Jesus uh, to ask Jesus if he's really the one. But this is it. This is John the Baptist. This is him preparing the way for the Lord. And at this point, we see Jesus' baptism. Uh, Luke is very scant on the details of Jesus' baptism, as you see here. Um, in other Gospels, we see that it's John who does the baptizing. In Luke, he doesn't even mention that. Uh, the details aren't as important as the, the presence of the Holy Spirit in the, the baptism of Jesus here and the voice of the Father saying, You are my beloved Son. With you, I am well pleased. So there's two points that, um, that we will be making this morning. Uh, the first is that the gospel is that Jesus is greater. The gospel is that Jesus is greater. And uh, the second we'll be looking at in Jesus' baptism is that God loves Jesus because he is God's Son. And he loves us with that same love because we are also sons of God. So the gospel is that Jesus is greater. Now John, he was a very special individual. No one else in the history of the world had been called on to prepare the way for the Lord. Um, he had a very unique calling. He, in fact, was filled with the Holy Spirit before he was born he had an amazing birth announcement that an angel came to his father. Um, I don't know about you, but my parents didn't have a, a birth announcement of me in that way. Um, uh, he is truly a, a special person. And he has an incredibly productive ministry here. It's a little unorthodox. Um, you know, he's out in the desert. He is wearing strange clothing. He is eating weird foods. Um, but his, his ministry is very productive. People are coming to him to be baptized uh, and to repent of their sins. But instead of taking the credit and making it all about himself, John deflects the attention and instead he points to Jesus. Uh, the people were thoroughly impressed with John, but John was not impressed with himself. This is very important. Uh, even in the midst of this ministry success, John refuses to believe the hype regarding himself because he knows that it's not about him. You know, John could have built a, a ministry empire here, uh, complete with, you know, a megachurch, maybe multiple campuses, maybe a television ministry, uh, maybe do some broadcasting on the radio. Um, he could have gone on a conference speaking tour. Uh, in a sense, he had... Um, a, a lot of things at his disposal. Uh, but instead, what he did is he chose a road that would lead eventually to prison and to his death. Um, the Gospel of John tells us why John the Baptist did this. Uh, in John 3, verse 30, uh, John says this, He must increase, but I must decrease. I'm going to be a little candid this morning. Um, it's easy for me and for other pastors uh, to believe the hype 
uh, regarding ourselves. Uh, in the face of ministry success, uh, we tend to take the credit for what God is doing. Um, it's easy for pastors to think that we are something uh, when things go well, and when churches are growing, um, especially for a young pastor like myself, uh, who is uh, still inexperienced. Uh, a few kind words from you in the congregation uh, can, in a sense, fan the flame of my own ego. Um, that's not to say that uh, you shouldn't encourage me, because I do appreciate encouragement. Um, but uh, it's very easy uh, for us to make it about the pastor. Um, and that's definitely not what John does here uh, in, in his ministry. Uh, I know the ladies are reading a book by Francis Chan in their Bible study. It's called Crazy Love. Uh, Francis Chan is a great pastor. Um, and he wrote a great book that was a huge success. Uh, New York Times bestseller. Uh, it's, it's been reprinted, updated already, and it, it just came out a couple of years ago. Um, and he had a huge amount of ministry success. His church there uh, in California, Cornerstone Church, uh, started blowing up. It, it was already a large church, but people came to hear Francis Chan preach because of this incredible pastor. Um, he realized uh, that it was becoming all about him. Um, there was multiple reasons, um, but that was one of them why he decided to, to leave his church at, in a sense, the height of ministry success. Because it was becoming about him. It wasn't about the gospel, it was about him. So a few years ago, he decided to, to leave that church to go out on a different ministry venture. Um, not many pastors would have the humility uh, to be able to do that. Um, I admit... Um, very honestly, that I have a tendency to be more concerned, more concerned with what people think about me um, than I should. Um, one of my faults is that I have a desire, an intense desire to be liked, to be admired. Um, but when I look at John the Baptist here, he could not have cared less about what people thought of him and of his ministry. Um, I mean, just look at the messages that he preached. He called people brood of vipers, and he was talking about Jesus coming in judgment. Um, more often than not, we live our lives concerned about appearances and how people perceive us, what, what people think about us. But what John demonstrates here is how to live a gospel-driven, how to live a Christ-centered life by dismissing his own reputation. Um, as Jesus would say later in the Sermon on the Mount, in the Beatitudes, in Matthew 5, verses 11 through 22, he says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You see, the reason that we don't have to be concerned about what other people think about us, about our reputation, uh, is because that we can have confidence in knowing how God feels about us. 
as we turn to Jesus' baptism here, like I said before, uh, Luke is very scant on the details. He, he doesn't focus um, uh, very much on, uh, on the baptism itself. It says that Jesus was baptized along with others and was praying. And at that point, heaven opened. And the Spirit of God descended on him in bodily form, in the form of a dove. And then there's this voice that comes from heaven that says, You are my Son. With you, I am well pleased. God is pleased with His Son, Jesus. And I think it's important for us to take note when God says this to Jesus. Because God is pleased with Jesus uh, before His actual ministry begins. Now granted, Jesus is probably about 30 years old at this time. So, um, He has lived on the earth. He has been um, living in perfection for 30 years. And that in itself is extremely impressive. Extremely impressive. Uh, The fact that He came down out of heaven that he was incarnated, that he became man. Very impressive. I do not want to take that away from Jesus. But we haven't seen him do any miracles yet. We have not seen him heal the sick. We have not seen him calm any storms. He has not raised anyone from the dead. He has not cast out any demons. He is unknown at this point in terms of the people in Israel. In fact, he is known as a carpenter. He is Joseph's son. He is the one who makes tables and chairs. Um, He will soon become known as a great teacher and a rabbi and as a healer and as our Savior. But he hasn't done any of this yet. And at this point, this is when God comes to him. And he says, you are my son. With you, I am well pleased. God is pleased with who Jesus is. He says, you are my son. So he is declaring to the world here that Jesus is his son. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, you are the savior of sinners, therefore I am well pleased with you. He doesn't say, you are a worker of miracles, so I am well pleased with you. He says simply, you are my With you, I am well pleased. We know that through our faith in Christ, that we are also sons of God. Uh, We studied the book of Galatians uh, over the summer and early fall. And Paul tells us in Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7, that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if you are a son, then you are an heir through God. The Apostle John, later on, in 1 John 3, verse 1, says, See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children 
of God. And so we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Just like Jesus, God is pleased with us. And it's not because of what we do, but it's based on the fact that we are His. This is the Gospel. So parents, here's a question for you. Why do you love your kids? Deep down, why do you love them? Um, If you're like me, um, your thoughts sometimes fluctuate. Um, If they are obeying and doing the things that they should be doing, you know, you have affection towards them. Uh, Sometimes if they're disobeying and maybe, you know, exasperating their mother or or doing other things that they shouldn't be doing, then, uh, you know, sometimes your feelings fluctuate. But why do you love your children? You love them because they're yours. Um, When Abigail was born, I loved her. Not because of anything that she had done. Because she was mine. Why do I love Maddie Grace? It's not because of anything that she does. It's not the fact that when I come home after work, she usually screams, Daddy's home. Um, That's great. And I appreciate that. But I love her because she's mine. Um, You know, it's great. The other day, uh, I was making breakfast, and Elliot came up to me and he said, Daddy, is there anything that I can do to help you right now? I about passed out. (laughs) I mean, uh, I didn't even know what to say. Um, But that doesn't cause me to love him. I love him because he's mine. He's my son. Um, You know, my kids may never be the smartest or the most athletic or the most amazing, you know, this, that, or the other thing. Um, But that won't matter to me. I will continue to love them because they are my children. Um, It's definitely not like the love that God has for us. It's an imperfect love. Um, I don't want to you know, equate my love to God's love. <laughs> but, um, but they're mine. And that's why I have this affection towards them. God's affection towards us, God's affection towards you is not based on what you do. It's based on the fact that you are His. You are His. Uh, I think we fall into this trap of, of thinking that we fall in and out of favor with God based on how we are acting. If we're obeying Him or disobeying Him, or if we're, in a sense, doing enough for God. Um, you know, last week we talked about bearing fruit in keeping with repentance, about sharing and about doing justice and about being content. Um, but our lives can overflow with guilt if we think that God's affections towards us is based on how much fruit we are producing. Instead, God loves us simply because we are His. God doesn't need our actions. He doesn't need our good works. You know, I appreciate immensely the pictures that Elliot draws And I'm proud of him um, because he's my son. Uh, But I don't love him anymore because uh, because of these pictures. 
I also don't require that he makes pictures for me. Um, He does it out of his love. Um, One of the things I realized this past week is that the good works that we do are a lot like these drawings that we have on the refrigerator uh, from our children. You know, kids' artwork, um, they bring their artwork to their parents, and parents usually say, oh, that's so beautiful. What is it? (laughs) Um, And the child says, well, you know, it's a giraffe. You're like, oh, yeah, I can see that. There's the giraffe. That's beautiful. Let's put that on the refrigerator. That is just just the best giraffe I've ever seen. Uh, What we do is we bring our good works to God in the same way. Um, We draw our giraffe and we show it to God. God is the one who created the giraffe. The one who formed the giraffe. And we say to him, look at this. Isn't this impressive? And he says, you know what, Mike? That's, That's beautiful. And he has affection towards us. He doesn't need that picture of a giraffe. He can make a giraffe if he needs one. But he says thank you to us because of the things that we do out of love for him. God doesn't need our good works. He doesn't need our refrigerator drawings, in a sense. If we bring it to him thinking that, you know what, this is what I have to offer to you, God. Here it is. These are my good things. Now will you love me? Um, God's not impressed by that. But if we come to him from the perspective of love, saying, I love you, God, and I drew this picture for you, God is honored to place that picture on his heavenly refrigerator. Does he need our good works? Absolutely not. He doesn't. He has done a pretty good job creating and sustaining the universe without our help. He does not need us. Do our good works make him love us more? Do Elliot's drawings make me love him more? No, they don't. I love Elliot because he is my son. And God loves us because we are his through faith in Christ. What I needed to hear this past week, and I think what many people here may need to hear as well, is that God loves you. It's a very simple, very simple message, but it's very profound. I needed to hear this week that you are my son, Mike. And with you, I am well pleased. Because God loves me and is well pleased with me, what does this mean? Does this mean that now I can do whatever I want? That I have the freedom to to just live as I please? Does this mean that I can do my own thing and not worry about what pleases God because I know that He has this love for me, this pleasure? Um, Why in the world would we ever think that? Um, God loves us with a deep and a very sacrificial love. And our response needs to be love for Him in return. And yes, our love for God does display itself in in what we do. Um, I don't want to put the cart before the horse here. We don't need to focus on the doing. What we need to focus on is the loving of God.
You know, Elliot could fill our refrigerator and then some with pictures. And, but when it comes down to it, I don't want his pictures. I would rather have him. To have him come to me, to be with me. I don't want him to spend all of his time just drawing and giving me pictures. I want him. I want him to come to me and say, I love you, Daddy. And that would mean more to me than all the pictures in the world. So God looks at us and He says, With you, I am well pleased. And in return, we are to turn our affections towards God and to love Him. Yes, we are to bear the fruits in keeping with repentance, but it's about your motivation. Why do you do these things? Uh, It's definitely not to earn God's favor. It's out of love for God. He is calling us to turn our affections towards Him, to trust in Him, to rest in Him, to be with Him, to acknowledge the fact that He exists in our daily life, to learn about Him through His Word, to to pray to Him, to have a conversation with Him, not out of duty, but out of delight, because He delights in us. So, so what? Um, So where do we go from here? What's our application this morning? Uh, First of all, Christ is to be exalted. He must increase and we must decrease. Uh, We must join with John the Baptist in in saying that. Uh, Like John, we need to lay aside our own reputation. And when we surrender our lives to Christ in faith, we're willing to say this phrase, He must increase, I must decrease. And the reason that we can say this is because we know the love that God has for us. That we are His children. And because we are His children, He is well pleased. Know that you are loved by God as His child. That God loved Jesus merely because Jesus was God's Son. God loves you because you are His child. Knowing the love that God has for us, Jesus was able to resist temptation by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, In a few weeks, we'll be looking at Jesus' temptations. After He was baptized, He was immediately sent out into the desert. And because He knew the Father's love for Him, Because he had the presence of the Holy Spirit with him, he was able to resist temptation by Satan. And it paved the way for his ministry and for what he was doing. Later on, we'll see Jesus uh, hearing these same words from his heavenly Father uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration. Um, He'll have witnesses this time, Peter, James, and John. And they'll hear him say, You are my son, with you I am well pleased. Jesus was about to go to the cross. He needed to hear those words again. To know the love that the Father had for him. And he willingly went to the cross and laid down his life. Know the love that God has for you as his child. 
And let God's love for you be the fuel for your life, knowing that you are His beloved child. And with you, He is well pleased. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, it is extremely difficult for us to actually understand the fact that you are well pleased with us. We look at our lives and the things that we do and the things that we don't do, that we could do, and it's very easy for us to feel guilt, to feel shame, to think, how could you possibly love us? I thank You for Your Word that constantly reminds us of the love that You have. That You said to Your Son that with You I am well pleased. And that we, as Your children, You look at us and You say, You are mine. You are my children. With You I am well pleased. Father, I pray that we could actually live in that love. I pray that you would fill us with your Spirit so that we would know and experience this love that you have for us so that we might love you, that we might honor you. Uh, Lord, that we would just bask in your greatness and in your love for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.